couple of years ago, I was sitting in a lecture from a brother in our fellowship on the Bible and slavery. I was sitting there and it was a packed house. It was about like um, 600 some odd students on campus as a packed house. And I was sitting there and the brother shared something that stuck with me, something I didn't consider too deeply. He says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And this fa- the founders of this nation said that the principles of scripture was going to guide the nation. That's what he started off with. And he's like, so if anywhere people should be free is in the land of the free. And that, that term freedom is laced throughout the entire scripture. But it's never something I really thought too deeply about. I only saw it in one particular sense, and that sense was freedom from sin. You know, we've been talking about politics and how do we engage, is that, engage with that topic as faithful followers of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about freedom. I didn't turn it on. That's why it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're talking about freedom in our larger series of faithful allegiance. Like Jesus expects us to be faithful to him. If you are a follower of Jesus, your politics is Jesus Lord. And that can be very challenging in a culture that requires our allegiance for just about everything. Like I mentioned before, the concept of freedom undergirds the entire scriptures. You have the exodus. In um, the book of Exodus, and then you have Jesus' ministry talking about freedom. And so as followers of Jesus, how do we understand our freedoms and how do we use our freedoms to bring his name, honor, and glory in a pluralistic society? Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. You know, in the book of Galatians, Paul is dealing with some unique challenges and his, his answer to a lot of the challenges is that this community of believers live into the new reality of their freedom found in Christ and keep in step with God's spirit. And so we're going to read um, verse 1 and then we're going to jump down to verse 13. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is filled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will be be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul is using the language here of Exodus when he talks about being free. You know, this is, again, an idea and a concept a lot of the the people during that time would have understood. And so he's reminded this Christian community, you were free for a purpose. And what was that freedom for? Not for self-indulgence, but sacrificial love of others, serving others. You know, the reality for this church here, when they said Jesus was Lord, the infrastructures that allowed slavery to run rampant did not go away. And so when Paul says you guys have been set free, that wasn't necessarily true for people's actual um, social location. But what he was saying and what he was appealing to at a larger sense was now that you're in the kingdom, you are operating from a different politic than the world outside of you, regardless of what your current social location is. And that's imperative that we understand that. So in what way were they free? 
They were free socially and politically, and they were not bound by the ideologies of the world. In the first century, similar to much late in more recent recent history, slaves were near the bottom of the social ladder. They didn't have strong opinions. No one cared what they thought, etc. And so Paul is telling this entire church in, in Galatia, that's not, that's not how it works anymore. If you're a slave in this church, you're an image bearer, just like everyone else is an image bearer, and your voice, your opinion matters right. in this community of believers. But there's also people in this fellowship who were women. And in that time and in that way, women outside of um, the Jewish culture did have influence, but within the Jewish culture, it didn't have as much. He's like, even within that new relationship, there was a new dynamic operating between men and women, slave and free, Jew and um, Greek. Paul was saying, now in the church, we operate with a new social politic, how we treat one another. We treat each other in love, and we use our freedoms to serve one another. If if that isn't against the American message, your freedom is for your happiness. Paul is saying, as followers of Jesus, our freedom is to serve others in humble love. You see, we are no longer obligated to be controlled by the narratives that were operating in Rome. We've been set free from that. And this is dangerous talk. Can you imagine telling someone, man, what, regardless of whatever infrastructure, think about your workplace. Let's just say I worked here at this illustrious university, um, the University of Southern Maine. <laughs> you know, there's a chain of command. There's ways you do things. There's ways you talk to people. You don't talk to people. But in the church, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. I am no more important than anyone else in here. I could serve as an evangelist. That doesn't make me more of a disciple than you are. That doesn't make me more of a follower of Jesus than you are. You could have been following Jesus a thousand years, and I could have been following Jesus one second. We're both equally followers of Jesus. So how does this relate to our politics? You see, our politics are convincing us there's a right way to do something. And if we don't go about it the way that ideology is calling us to do it, then we are in danger of ruining the world. Political language uses fear in every ad. Every ad, every everything you see right now, it's like in January, it's like chill a little bit. You know, like, oh, the economy isn't going good. This isn't happening. You need to think about this now that we are in October. A vote for this person is a vote to destroy the country. You're like, gosh, I don't think I want to do that. And they use a ton of fear. They're like, listen, man, they will destroy your kids. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And, and fear. And they try to instill so much fear in us. But Paul, he saw the coming of the kingdom completely different. He said, this kingdom politic isn't about fear. It's about service to others in humble love. You see, our political ideologies prevents us from loving each other. It really does. It's really challenging. Like, I've shared this before, but I remember being in a conversation with someone I believe was a mature follower of Jesus, and we were having great fellowship, and we were talking. And we were talking about a sensitive subject of race. And he was like, my daughters can marry anyone, anywhere, as long as they're followers of Jesus. And then I was like, wow, that's so amazing. That's so awesome. And, and then I don't know what possessed me to say this, but I think it was good for his heart for me to say this. Yeah, and I don't even care what political creed they follow. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa. I'm like, what do you, he's like, 
you would let your child marry a Democrat? I'm like, if they're faithfully following Jesus, that political ideology will come under that. He's like, there's no faithful follower of Jesus who could do that. And I was like, wow, there you go. I thought, you know, he was all inclusive and this was powerful. I'm like, oh, okay. There's a barrier right here. But the same has been true of other situations. I remember the tension around the 2016 elections. And and lines were drawn on social media that I'm I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys saw. If you vote for this person, you're no longer my friend. And you're like, I've been unfriended on social media. You know, the crazy thing is like a year later, they added me back and I didn't even know I got unfollowed. (laughs) You're like, you rejected me for a whole year and I was unaware. You know, I get tagged in a whole bunch. I, I, don't, I don't do anything on social media. I may post a picture of my, my children, and then after that, I leave. I, that's not where I get down, right? I, I talk to people in person. If your thing is social media, God bless your heart. <laughs> but what happened during 2016 is I was getting tagged in certain things, and I wasn't paying attention, so people took my silence as complicit, and they were like, get him out of here. He's supporting somebody, but we don't know. And so I lost a couple of friends, but then we added the year later, so it's good. That was a redemptive story there. You see, my freedom in Christ says the most important thing is how do I love the people around me? How do I love the people around me? My my sincere belief, if you are fully, faithfully devoted to Jesus, all those other things do become secondary. That doesn't mean they're not important, but they become secondary in what it means to follow Jesus. You see, the Christians in the first century and even now prayerfully are operating from a new worldview. And that's critical that we understand that. So what's the worldview? First, let's um, look at the scripture. Second Corinthians chapter five, beginning in verse 16 through 17. I do want to add something, even as I kind of add a little bit here to what we're talking about in Galatians five. We we are set free to serve our neighbors. Our, whatever our political ideology is, it should be in service to our neighbors. And there are two, we're going to talk a little bit more at the end of this message. There are multiple ways of doing that, and sometimes we may not even agree on how to do that well, but that should be our spirit. And however you are tempted to criticize someone for different reasons, remember this one principle. Whoever you're about to criticize, Jesus loves them, and he died for them. Whoever you're going to criticize, the most in your opinion, most heinous, awful person Jesus loves and died for them. And so understand that when you get prepared to criticize anyone, especially in this highly um, contentious and combative age. And the imperative to walk in the spirit is to basically serve in love. Walking in the spirit is serving your neighbor in love. The law is summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The kingdom worldview seeks to conform this this current life to the example and way of Jesus. So if you say, Jesus, Lord, you live your life in such a way, I'm going to imitate Jesus Jesus and my faith in Jesus will stain all components of my life, how I vote, how I think, how I serve. It will stain all components of my life. And instead of focusing on institutions or partisanship, we start focusing on people. 
People become the primary driver in what we're doing. How can I love the person I legitimately see? And then we expand that outward. You see, Paul's new paradigm, this new view that he no longer viewed from a worldly perspective, was political language. And even as you read a little bit further, Paul's like, I'm an ambassador for Christ. That's political language. He's like, I am representing another kingdom when I am talking and engaging with people. And so is Jesus' goal to build a theocracy? Does he want the American government to be an extension of what it means to be the kingdom of God? I, I would answer no. Jesus says it in John 17, my kingdom is not of this world. That, that is not the point what Jesus is trying to do. What Jesus is trying to do in this world is influence this world to his glory and his honor, but not necessarily through the means of any political party per se. So Christians should not be trying to win influence and convince people to do what God has given them the free will not to do. We're going to talk a little bit more about ethics, though. I think there's a responsibility for Christians ethically to encourage and support. So is my role as a follower of Jesus to do nothing? No, you're an ambassador. Ambassadors represent the way of the kingdom. It's very important. How awful would an ambassador be if they came in and like, all right, you're representing South Africa. What do you have to say? Nothing. I got nothing to say about anything. I'm just here. No, an ambassador comes and shares whatever is important for the South African people. And what that means. So we, wherever we go, we bring what's important to God and the kingdom ethics. But we don't do it in a way of grasping for power. Not in a way opposite of what Jesus taught. Because what did Jesus teach about power? The Gentiles lorded over people, but not so with you. The greatest in my kingdom serves. He doesn't want his people lording over people. He wants his people radically serving people. You see, Paul saw his role not as building the kingdom. That was done with Jesus' entire ministry, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. What Paul saw his role as he was building for the kingdom. Like what he was doing was establishing God's rule and reign in the different places. Just imagine the fellowship gathering in the first century. When Jesus is sitting there on the night of his betrayal. Let's just say Judas left because that's kind of discouraging. So he's not there. But the rest of the guys are there. You have Simon the Zealot, who's like, man, you know, I mean, I, Rome is not that bad. We figured it out a little bit, you know, like we just kind of got to roll with the rules. Not, not Simon. Simon is like Rome is evil. I'm talking about Matthew Tax Collector. He's like, it's not that bad. Simon is like, Rome is evil. Let's bring this thing down. Everything about Rome is, in, is antithetical to what we're trying to do as Jews. Simon, I mean, P- Matthew is like, man this is good this is all right like we made money here maybe if we work together then you have the fishermen crew you know the fishermen are like listen you know how tough it is being followers we didn't get the sort of education everyone else got we want to be educated we want to just have it together and just imagine the conversations jesus had to navigate consistently and they navigated with one another and you know what we read through the book of acts and that those 11 believers got something figured out and they radically transformed the world. And then when Paul came into the crew, it, it, it still added, you know, he understood like Paul would have could have easily said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I've been trained by Gamaliel. I was marked out as a prodigy. I did all these incredible things. But when Paul looks at himself, he's like, I'm the worst of all God's people. There was something radical about the way of Jesus that humbled most of the followers of Jesus. They really didn't think more highly of themselves than they are. Our politics makes us think more highly about one position than someone else. It really makes us rivals. 
Like you see it all the time, like you actually believe this position, you actually believe that position. We start thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, but we don't view the world that way anymore. We view ourselves humbly. You see, this new perspective of freedom in Christ impacts the social life of the church. The new people of God liberated by the new exodus. Christian freedom in the New Testament is certainly not purely inward and individual, but concerns the outward social relationship of Christians in the church. This is a quote from Richard Bauckham. And what Richard Bauckham is saying is like, our freedom isn't, man, okay, I've been set free from sin. I've been set free from evil. Now I don't care what anyone else thinks. And we don't walk into any space as elitists. As followers of Jesus, we don't walk in and say, I got it all figured out. Our sins remind us that we don't have it all figured out. Yeah. Every day we wake up and the ways we fall short reminds us we don't have it all figured out. And so we point to the one who has it all figured out while realizing that even our perspective on how Jesus has it figured out is still tainted by fallenness. And so we walk with a great degree of humility and meekness, which is challenging and it's so countercultural in this age. I was watching some of the news pundits because I've been preparing for this sermon. Usually this time of the year when it comes to politics, I stop watching it. It gets very dirty, very nasty. Like before I became a Christian, I used to watch No Judgment on You if you still watch UFC. I used to watch UFC before I became a Christian. And I remember just watching it a couple of years after I became a believer. And I'm like, these guys are beating each other to a pulp. There's nothing redemptive about what I'm seeing here. And I get it. It's a sport and everything else. But you know what? I view politics the same way now. Oh, let's talk about this dude's mother. Let's talk about this person. Let's talk about how they're awful. They're ignorant. The slander you hear about a politician within 30 minutes of the talk show is like, wow. Ew. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to hear about this conversation. Like, can we like? To... But that's how politics work. You know, and I think it's, it's something that's really important as followers of Jesus that we don't engage in those things. Like, are you slandering a politician? Maybe you didn't vote for Biden and you're like, Biden's uh, fill in the blank. That's not the way of Jesus. Right. That we, if you disagree with his policies, scriptures call us still to pray for him. Let's just say you, you, you didn't vote for Trump in the previous election and you just want to slander him like he's this, he's that. He's, we don't operate like that. We don't talk about people like that. If you disagree with them, be what you want them to be. Don't have to slander them. You could be the change you're seeking. So it's like, hey, man, I don't like how he talks to people. Then talk to people the way you want them to be spoken to. I don't like the policies on this thing. In your sphere of influence, operate with a different policy then. It's really important that we don't get involved in slandering um, other people. That doesn't mean we don't call out injustice. We could totally call out injustice. As followers of Jesus, we could totally say that decision, that thing right here was wrong. And this is there's no place for that. But to get on the deeper level to diagnose people when we don't know them, we're not their therapist saying you're this or that. It's very it, 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 it's, it's dangerous <laughs> waters we're threading on. <clears throat> so our worldview. Who are we? It's really important that we bring our worldview into how we think about spiritual things. It's really important. We are humans made in the image of God. We have a vocational responsibility that comes with this status. It's really important. We are humans made in the image of God, but everyone is humans made in the image of God. That when we are talking against people, we have to understand they're fellow image bearers. Where are we? 
In Genesis chapter one, the Bible says that everything God created was good. And so we are in God's good and beautiful, though transient world. The creation of the God in whose image we are made. So this world has the potential for a lot of good. And we want to be able to partner with God in that. What's wrong? Human rebellion against the creator. This rebellion is reflected in a cosmic dislocation between the creator and the creation. What I mean by cosmic dislocation, so last week we talked about the powers and principalities and those things that make it easy for us to rebel, where there's a rebellion up there and there's a rebellion in here in our own personal hearts. And so the world is, con- is uh, consequently out of tune with God's created intention. So the world in so many ways is, out of, like I said, out of tune. It's like we're, we're trying to play a good harmony and sometimes we just mess things up and things are messed up. How do we put this right? How is this to be put right? The creator has acted, is acting, and will act within his creation to deal with the weight of evil set up by human rebellion and to bring his world to the end for which it was made, namely that it should resonate fully with his own presence and glory. God is doing that work, and he did that work in Jesus. The cool thing is we get to partner with that work to be a preview, but there's nothing in all of creation any of us can do to bring the kingdom here and now in its entirety. That's God's work, God's timing, and God sees it. But we can be a preview of the work that God is doing where people look and say, something is happening uniquely here. And we're like, this is a preview of what God's going to do on the last day. What time is it? Game time. No, it's not. Um, We are living in the time of fulfillment. The time when God's kingdom has already been decisively launched on earth as it is in heaven through the work of Jesus himself. Yet, the time before all things, including death itself, as being subjected to his reign. And so death is going to be no more one day soon in the future, which is fired up. Like none of you are going to die one day in the future. It won't it won't it won't happen, which is amazing. And yet, this is also the time of fulfillment where Jesus is reigning and ruling right now. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. How do we bring this worldview into our local politics, into the national politics, and how should we? (coughs) Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6 through 11. You know, this is one of those situations where Being a follower of Jesus, at times, you look like the most zen and altogether person, and you're like it. And then there's other times where following Jesus to the eyes of everyone else looks like you're losing. But we need to be fine and trust the larger narrative of what God is doing among us. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Who being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in his appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. This... Many people believe this hymn just started being sung in the early church, maybe some five years after Jesus was um, crucified and raised. 
And when the scriptures say he emptied himself, that's the Greek word kenosis, where you get this idea of making yourself nothing. That is not the best political strategy. That is not the best any strategy to win anything. And yet we're all here and for almost 2000, more than 2000 years, everyone's been saying Jesus is Lord based off that strategy right there. The strategy of humbling yourself and making yourself nothing and saying, you know, what, I'm going to be a servant here. Oh, that feels it goes against everything that we naturally think is how you win. And yet this is the call for all Christians. We're going to talk two weeks from today about government that is not a branch of Christianity and their role. But as Christians, we take on this posture of dealing with the world. So kenosis. When we are trying to persuade someone, we take on the, um, the posture of a servant. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you knew you had very little influence? And so you had the only influence you had is your own personal example and, and how you loved. Think like that when we're operating in our communities, in our world. We, we're not trying to strong arm anyone, put anyone in a headlock. We're just like, hey, I think this would be better. No, I don't think it'd be better. Hey, OK, I'm going to use my vote to help in this way. It didn't help. OK, cool. Well, I'm still going to operate off of this reality and still love and still try to operate off the kingdom reality. But it requires us to have a posture of deep humility and to consider ourselves nothing. Like Jesus at every level, he was with God. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to consider equality with God to be grasped. Then he's like, OK, I'll take on this, the, the role of a servant. That's just not even humble enough. I'm actually going to die the death of a criminal. And through the death of the criminal, God is like, you hyper humble yourself and I'm going to hyper exalt you. Our politics as followers of Jesus need a hyper humble people. A hyper humble people. Most of our persecution that exists today is because Christians have grasped for power. Most of the persecution. There are some people who disagree with how we live. But most of the persecution from all fronts have come from Christians trying to dominate someone else. And so they're like, all right, since we're fighting, let's fight. I pray moving forward that what we're accused of is how we follow Jesus, how we love and how we serve others, not how we try to dominate anybody. And that's kenosis. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Okay, so how do we do it? Now we're going to get a little bit more practical. This is my opinion. You are free to disagree with my opinion, free to disagree with my opinion, free to disagree with my opinion. Where which one is being recorded? Free to disagree with my opinion. <laughs> this is just my opinion. As I try to walk with the living God, this is what I think. I could change my mind next week and I'm like, all right, change my mind. That's OK. So there are so many layers to freedom. So many ways to apply the principles of Scripture in Ephesians 5, 1. Paul says, be imitators of God. And we know as followers of Jesus, the clearest representation of God is Jesus. In Hebrews, it says Jesus is the exact image of the, I mean, in Colossians, it says he's the image of the invisible God. So if we imitate Jesus, then our politics first concern should be that of others and not ourselves. That doesn't mean we don't, we don't consider ourselves in whatever politics we take. But our primary concern is what will be the blessing for our neighborhood? What would be the blessing for our community? This is my opinion. I think followers of Jesus should be more concerned about what's happening locally than necessarily what's happening nationally. 
because locally you actually see the flesh and blood that's being impacted by these policies versus from a distance. You don't know what's going on in any particular place and why they're doing whatever it is that they're doing. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to concern ourselves deeply. What is going on with the poor in our community, the poor right over here in Treble Street or Preble Street? What is going on and how can we serve and how can we help that community? Is there is there is there a policy that can help that community in a way that honors and glorify God? We need to be concerned about our school systems. From the outside looking in, all the schools look like they're working well, but maybe they're operating horribly. Like no building says, hey, we actually don't have it all figured out. This is falling apart as we speak. But if it did, how can we help that school? The economy here, from the outside looking in, the fact that most of the really good restaurants close at 5 p.m. says something's wrong with the economy. <laughs> or maybe we're practicing some Sabbath, man. People are just getting rest. They're not going to work forever. But, you know, it's just crazy here in particular. Like 5 p.m., everything good is done. <laughs> It feels like dystopia, man. You're like, well, everywhere else, you can get whatever you want whenever you want here. It's like, nope, get it before five. <laughs> Our immigration situation here, how can we help with the different refugees who have come here to seek shelter and find a home? How can we help here? Our crime here, you know, there's someone breaking into cars in my community right now. Now, they're not taking anything, but they are opening everyone's doors. You know, the criminals here are gentle. <laughs> So we respect their gentleness, but yet we still need to stop them. <laughs> Justice for the kingdom of God. No, but seriously, people are breaking in my neighborhood and they're like opening the doors. They haven't taken anything, but you know, like there's a violation that occurs when someone opens your door. You know, you're just like, what are you doing? They're looking. They're looking. <laughs> but most people in Portland don't keep anything here. Uh, and then whatever else reforms we may need, we need to think more locally. You know, Christ has called us to be influenced by his gospels in our areas of our lives. And so if you choose to vote, if you choose not to vote, amen, that's between you and the good Lord. But if you choose to vote, bring your covenant with Christ with you into your voting booth. And here's some things that's really important, because when we vote on things, we're also voting on things that's going to impact people not in the covenant with Christ. We have to acknowledge that. And there are there's a space in which we should influence and there's a space in which we need to accept that God has given them the freedom to rebel against what he desires. And that distinguishing line is really hard to discern. And you should do that in prayer. So first, treat people as people. When you're about to vote, you're not trying to win against your enemy. You're trying to treat people as people. What, what will further that? Whatever you're voting for, lean into things that bring stronger community. Whatever that may be. Again, this isn't partisanship. Partisanship. I, I, you, I may think this is for community and you may think this is for community, but at least both of us were trying to honor Jesus with that decision versus trying to follow whatever um, political ideology is out there. And our policies recognize whatever we decide, all people are made in the image of God. Amen. And that we need to treat people with our policies as siblings, the way we want our siblings treated. And we need to develop an eye for the things that Jesus was concerned about in our policies. And we have a whole list of that in Matthew 25 and in so many other places in the scriptures. And as followers of Jesus, it's really important that we protect the weak and vulnerable. Again, that doesn't mean you're going to think the way you protect the weak and vulnerable is exactly the way I think we should protect the weak and vulnerable. But at least we're going in with our Christian ethics and trying to figure that out and what that means. 
You know, I want to add a little bit more here. As followers of Jesus, what are the conversations you should never have at a party? Politics and religion. You want to ruin a party? Bring those two things up. We should be able to have such a strong, deep love for Jesus and one another that we could talk about anything. We could disagree on these things. We can enlighten each other. I may need help understanding a particular policy, but if I say I'm never going to talk to anyone in here who has a better understanding than I do, then how will I grow? Who's going to influence me? The, the, the partisan people who are trying to get me not only to accept that ideology, but accept a whole host of other ideologies that are against the kingdom of God. I need your help and you need mine. And so we have to open ourselves up to hear other people's perspectives on these things. And when I say other people, I'm talking about followers of Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't listen to people out there, but we, whatever we listen to out there needs to be shaped in our understanding of Jesus. Our freedom in Christ is to serve others. I want us to be a people known if we decide to participate in a political arena with the vote and everything else, that we use that to love others. Be clear conscience. So if someone is upset with you or whatever you vote for, you knew you went in there out of love. Instead of, I just want my partisan side to win, whatever, why, and for whatever reason. Now, if you feel like, Steve, I believe one party represents the value of Jesus, go back and listen to last week's message. No one party in this country represents the value of Jesus. And there's room for criticism on every single political level. We talked about a lot of the isms last week. So be careful with that mindset, thinking one party is the party of Jesus. Jesus has one party. It's the party of the Lamb, and its politics is the kingdom of God. That's his party. That's who he represents, and that's what he calls his followers to represent. We're going to take a moment of reflection. I want you to think about it. Maybe... You do know a policy that is important and you want to pray about it and you want to get input about. Maybe you disagree with everything I said and you want to be mean to me. That's not the way of Jesus. <laughs> Maybe you just, this is a starting place. This is a starting place to think, how would Jesus, if he was living in my flesh, concern himself with the ways of Portland and how he could be a better neighbor to the people here in this world? So let's take a moment of reflection and then we'll pray for communion.